0: against an organisation like ISIL. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Good morning. This is Money for Nothing, and I'm your host, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Obama, President Obama, insists that the U.S. won't get into a ground war in Iraq. The U.S. Federal Reserve has announced a further reduction of its policy of quantitative easing, possibly as early as next month. And the Dow closed at a record high after the U.S. Federal Reserve stuck to its plan to begin to raise near-zero interest rates only in 2015. And of course, the Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba is set to break the record for the world's largest IPO. My co-host this morning is Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting. Good morning, Peter.
2: Good morning, Renita. Nice to be here on a new era for Money for Nothing.
1: Absolutely. And great to have you as co-host on the show, new format that we're starting here on Money for Nothing. Uh, so we'll talk about all of these stories in much more depth with Mikey Shaw of Sunrise Brokers. And we'll also talk with Richard Binier, founder of a startup called Vigilant, about the rise of Internet-connected devices, or what's known as the Internet of Things. But first, the news stories of the day. Well, India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi celebrated his 64th birthday yesterday by hosting President Xi Jinping of China in his home state, Gujarat. The two lay the foundation for a long-term relationship that carries huge stakes for both countries. It's the first visit of a Chinese president to India in eight years and only the third in history. And the reasons for mutual goodwill are indeed compelling. China has the ability to channel billions of dollars into Indian infrastructure and manufacturing projects, allowing Mr. Modi to pursue the job creation agenda that was at the heart of his campaign. And China in the interim needs to... (laughs) calm down on its southwestern border to offset tense relationships with Japan, Vietnam, the Philippines, and United States. In the U.S., President Obama addressed troops at a central command base in Florida. He said that the United States was committed to destroying the Islamic State, but not with combat
2: troops. One of the things we've learned over this last decade is, America can make a decisive difference. But I want to be clear, the American forces that have been deployed to Iraq do not and will not have a combat mission. They will support Iraqi forces on the ground as they fight for their own country against these terrorists. As your Commander-in-Chief, I will not commit you and the rest of our armed forces to fighting another ground war in Iraq. After a decade of massive ground deployments, It is more effective to use our unique capabilities in support of partners on the ground so they can secure their own country's futures. And that's the only solution that will succeed over the long term.
1: And now to the results of the two-day Fed meeting. The U.S. Fed maintained a commitment to keep interest rates near zero for a considerable time after asset purchases are completed. The economy is expanding at a moderate pace and inflation is below its goal. Um, Fed Reserve Chair Janet Yellen said that the central bank's pledge to keep interest rates low for a considerable time is not calendar-based guidance. I want to emphasize that there is no mechanical interpretation of what the term considerable time means. And um, as I've said repeatedly, the decisions that the committee makes about what is the appropriate time to begin to raise its target for the federal funds rate will be data dependent. If the pace of progress in achieving our goals were to quicken, if it were to accelerate, it's likely that the committee would begin raising its target uh, for the federal funds rate sooner than is now anticipated and might raise uh, might uh, then raise the federal funds rate at a faster pace. And the opposite is also true uh, if the projection were to change. Constant Hunter is a chief economist for DB Securities. Her big takeaway is what they said about inflation. My big takeaway is what they said about inflation. And they said that the likelihood of the PCE running below 2% is somewhat diminished since the last meeting. And I think that that is the important thing to focus on. And if I can tie that back to the data this morning on the CPI, which, of course, is a different inflation measure, but which showed that... um, What fell was, in fact, energy prices, and that's more stimulative for the economy. It means that households have more disposable income to spend on other goods and services other than energy. And so I don't view that CPI print this morning as necessarily dovish, um, and it it supports what the Fed is saying in their statement. Ira Jersey is an interest rate strategist at at Credit Suisse Group, and he said that Janet Yellen might have some explaining to do.
0: She certainly will have to say here's why we have the 2017 uh, dots where they are, and also has to explain some of the changes in the 2015 and 16 numbers because they did move up. There, you know, was it because people think that there's a better outlook? But she'll, she's also going to have to uh, uh, note some risks, right? Note uh, how the global economy, there's some question marks as to what's going on in Europe and what's going on in China and how that might affect the bond market.
1: The Dow Jones rose by 24 points to 17,156, breaking the prior record by 18 points. The S&P 500 gained 0.1% to 2001, while the Nasdaq advanced 0.2% to 4,562. The U.S. dollar climbed to a six-year high versus the yen, and gold extended losses on the Fed News. So, Peter, what is your take on the Fed's announcement today? Well,
2: the markets are really very focused on when are we going to see an end to the zero interest rate environments that the uh, the Fed has us in at the moment, and and the money that has been coming from this has kept the markets juiced up for the last three or four years. Equity markets have been rallying to all time highs, bond yields have been steadily falling, Um, and everyone was focusing on two words in that statement: the the words "considerable time." In other words, um, when. Quantitative easing ends next month. How long will it be before interest rates sort of rise? So in that Fed statement, those two words, considerable time remained, although Janet Yellen is still very vague about how long is considerable time. But market participants are sort of taking that as being maybe around the middle of next year or perhaps the um, end of the first quarter at the earliest that interest rates will start to start to rise. But there is an inconsistency because um, if you look at now the forecasts that all the all the Fed officials are, are really saying about where interest rates will be. They're saying by the end of next year, there'll be around about one and a half percent and about three percent at the end of 2016. So that means that if they start raising rates in the middle of next year, there's eight Fed meetings a year, they've got to now raise rates Mm. at almost every single Fed meeting between the middle of next year and the end of 2016 to get to that target. So
1: this is why the words considerable time are so significant, because it really actually depends on what amount they've raised, at what time.
2: Um, and when exactly are they going to start? But it, it does seem a little bit implausible to me that uh, to get to the point of 3% by the end of 2016, um, you know, they're, they're going to start in the middle of next year and just keep on raising rates every meeting almost. That's a quite a rapid pace of tightening, the likes of which we don't normally see from a, um, a, a central bank. So it, the, the statement is not completely sort of consistent. It's kept the markets happy with this, this considerable time phrase in there. But it doesn't make sense in terms of, um, you know, the, the the forecast for rates over the next year or two.
1: But this is not the first time that the Fed has done something like this, drastically increased, uh, you know, increased the in- interest rates in a relatively short period of time.
2: Well, uh, it's done that before, but never from zero. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in a very unusual sort of situation here in that, you know, they're forecasting economic growth of 2.1% next year, but interest rates are at zero. Um, and, you know, that's a, a rather bizarre... Bizarre sort of combination of sort of economic growth outlook um, and and where interest rates currently are. So the the question is, what is this going to do for the markets? You know, the markets have really been, um, you know, running on this uh, sort of free money that's been sort of ultimately pumped into it by central banks around the world. In fact, Um, you know, how will they cope once this stimulus is withdrawn?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if we sort of take a look at the birds at a bird's eye view, let's say of the world economy, um, it looks like we're moving into a situation where China is flushing money into the system, as we heard yesterday, Europe is flushing money into the system, but the US is looking like it will soon begin to pull back. What does that mean?
2: Well, this is why we're seeing the volatility in particularly in FX markets and also in the bond markets, because we have a policy split now. We have, on the one hand, the Fed, um, who are going to start raising rates sooner or later. And on the other hand, we have Europe flirting with deflation and the ECB talking about actually adding more stimulus. The Bank of Japan has been um, providing a lot of easy money into the markets, and we're seeing growth slow down in, um, in China. So, the the markets are starting to become rather bipolar, and we're seeing a lot of volatility in the FX markets. We've seen the dollar rise to sort of four-year highs against the yen, multi-year highs against emerging market currencies. We're seeing bond yields suddenly uh, sort of move higher again in the US, but sort of uh, move lower elsewhere in the world. So we we have a big split at the moment between what's happening on the one hand in the US and almost the rest of the world um, on on the other, where growth is slowing down.
1: Okay, so let's bring in Mikey Shah, who is a sales trader at Sunrise Brokers. Good morning, Mikey. Good morning. Great to have you on the show. And um, Mikey, are you expecting a good day in the Hong Kong markets?
0: Hong Kong, I think in terms of Hong Kong, we, well, we're in a bit of a stalemate because, <clears throat> because of the fact that... Uh, a lot of it seems like a lot of the money is rushing out to uh, to, to in preparation of uh, the Alibaba listing, which obviously uh, starts trading tomorrow. Um, and so you know the you know the, the you know the crux of looking at what China did recently, i.e., pump, pump money into the system this time round. If you actually look at it, Shibor, you know the interbank market was you know you didn't actually see any signs of stress. Whereas if you were looking at it a year ago, we you know we'd seen you know you know you know rates you know rise substantially, you know showing some you know showing signs of stress in the interbank system. This time around, they're pumping money directly into the bank to you know to get them to you know lend. So you know you can see that you know the 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 problem is starting to shift. Um, hopefully, that actually means that uh, you know that, that China itself is you know uh, is is or the government at least is uh, you know clearly understanding what the problems are that they face, and that uh, we're going through this transitionary phase I think in the economy whereby you see the likes of Alibaba and Tencent um, you know becoming dominant in, in, in the you know in the percentage of the uh, GDP growth. Um, that uh, you know, you, you you know, you see this 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 uh, economy start to shift, like much of what we've seen, like in the uh, 1950s of the U.S., um, where you know we we, we start to see. And, you know, the, the manufacturing-type economy shift further and further to a services-type uh, economy. Uh, so, the, you know, we're going through the growing pains of uh, of that. And so, you know, hopefully Hong Kong will go through, you know, I mean, Hong Kong alongside with China. The, you know, the, the the key short-term thing is really Alibaba. So everybody seems to be focused there. Um, hopefully that the, the Hong Kong Connect, which comes, you know, like in October after National Day, that, uh, you know, the money will, you know, people will start to view, uh, you know, China, you know, China again as a, as a you know, a decent proposition here. So, Mike, so
2: yeah. you've, you've talked about the, the People's Bank of China injecting money into the system, injecting liquidity into the system. Mm-hmm. Is this a form of quantitative easing by stealth or is there something else going on here behind the scenes in that they just want to maybe maintain liquidity around the golden week sort of period? Well, well, what's the reasoning thinking behind that? I think that you know there are key
0: industries that you know there are you know if you look at the economy itself there are you know a lot of industries which have over you know you know overgrown their worth so you know you know cements steels you know a lot of the you know a lot of the sort of I would guess say dirty type industries which are polluting so we have a you know we have a country which which whereby it's very very dirty in the sense that you can't breathe. And, you know, know, that in itself will create, you know, it it creates a lot of other, you know, secondary impacts and so forth. And thus, I think the, the, you know, the Chinese are, you know, having to ensure that the system keeps running, putting some, I guess it's somewhat stealth uh, monetary easing and direct it to the industries, let's say, wind, you know, wind, wind power or, you know, alternatives and so forth, cleaner energy type things, you know, things that will... And is that good?
2: I mean, is it good that we have a form of you know, quantitative easing in China, given that the economy needs to restructure and we want to get away from this credit-fueled um, sort of growth? We want to move away from the very high levels of investment that we've seen there. And, and we know that that's going to cause a slowdown in the economy. Can the government see this out and sort of say, well, you know, we anticipate that growth will slow down, but nevertheless, um, we want to go ahead with the restructuring, or are they going to fall back to type and just keep pumping more money in every time the economy starts slowing down i
0: think i think that you know in you know to to like it's it's like a drug you know it's morphine whatever you know to to inject into an economy i think that you know it would be imprudent anyway to just switch the tap off and just let everything go you know go to zero um so i think the government is trying to be very smart trying to be proactive to you know engage and put the Putting the money where it needs it, and taking the money away from where it doesn't need it. So in the you know in the course of this whole change of the landscape of of, of the Chinese economy, there will be bumps, and we're going through these bumps. And uh, you know, hopefully, they will. You know, you know, if in in, in in a situation like Chinese property or shadow banking, that the you know the balloon, you know, the bubble is not you know you know pricked so that it bursts. I mean, I think that a lot of the a lot of the, the culmination of wealth management products that the banks had sold have uh, been uh, you know have been the, the pumping or the balloon you know uh, pumping that uh, has made you know has grown you know increased the shadow banking, but as yields have dropped or you know on these products. Um, the you know the interest in these in, in these in, in this kind of asset cloud, or this this investment product has dropped so much. so that's why you know we, we you know we see less and less news of these these you know these uh, wealth management products, which thus are showing you know showing signs that the shadow banking industry is starting to shrink in the, or you know reduce in the right direction.
1: Thank so you, the- Mikey. Unfortunately, uh, so much to discuss, but as usual, we're out of time. But thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Mikey Shah, a sales trader at Sunrise Brokers. Peter, uh, before we quickly wrap up the segment, it's an interesting point he actually brings up about is the money being put to sort of good use, if you will. You were in Dalian yesterday. Um, Tell us why you were there.
2: (laughs) Well, the the, – the Dalian Commodities Exchange, along with a number of the other exchanges, are going to launch options hopefully later on this year, which is a furthering of the, the development of the, the amount of product that's available to trade in the Chinese market. So we have futures now that have been listed on the index. Um, the, the Shanghai Stock Exchange is going to hopefully launch options on individual stocks. The Financial Futures Exchange will la- launch options on the index and we will also have commodity options being launched so there. So this
1: is big <coughs> news and this is happening despite slowing growth?
2: Yes, yep. It's a major initiative in order to open up um, and develop the financial markets, make them have more depth, more maturity, um, and, and also make more products available for investors to trade and, and invest in.
1: Okay, a quick look at the numbers for now. Uh, The euro to the US rate is 1.2. One US dollar buys you 108 yen, and one Great Britain pound buys you 12.6 Hong Kong dollars. Gold is currently at 1,218. uh, dollars per ounce we'll be back uh, with an interesting segment to talk with Richard Binier, the founder of Vigilant a company that makes smart devices um, and talks about the internet of things that's right after this message
3: why are you hiding you think you'll be alright by hiding your drug problem prolonged drug abuse causes more harm stop putting it off seek help now there is a way as long as you want to quit Call 186186 186 or message at 98186186. Many people and organizations can help. Don't hide yourself. Seek help now. Stand firm. Knock drugs out.
1: Well, just as you might have thought you had it all covered with Apple's big iPhone launch last week, uh, the news is that smart devices are definitely getting smarter. Uh, there are a range of companies out there that are creating devices that complement uh, things like digital wallets, uh, combining payment systems with smartphone technology. Yes, Apple's certainly not alone in facing the challenge of developing applied technology. Manufacturers out there increasingly need to think about how their particular products will be smart or should I say even smarter in an internet connected world. So we welcome to the studio now Richard Binier, who is the founder of a startup called Vigilant. Good morning Richard.
3: Good morning, thanks for having me.
1: And thanks for joining us. So uh, Vigilant is a fairly new startup in Hong Kong. Tell us what it's about.
3: Well first I I wanted to say that the Smart products market is an emerging market. It has no volume today. Um, where we're going is that today with 8 billion connected device, the trend is in 2020, in five years, we will have 50 billion devices connected to the Internet. So our company here in Hong Kong uh, has a specific strategy to analyze use case, to analyze what customers in their life are are going to get as added value before we put any engineers and before we patent any technology. So this uh, we spend a lot of time asking, thinking about how the life in the future will, will happen. Hong Kong is a great place for this because it's a city that has invested very early into being a smart city. Uh, So this, this strategy is paying a lot because uh, our innovations are hot sales the moment they, they are on the shelves. I take two examples of what we do. Um, one is a smart toothbrush for kids, which is connected by Bluetooth to a phone and a game is actually Um, helping and showing uh, the kids how to brush their teeth. Uh, The motion, there is a gyroscope inside, there is an accelerator inside. And through a game, um, the kids learn how to brush their teeth and the parents can check... On their phone, whether the children have been brushing their teeth. So and so let's, how well let's or take not. a
1: step back uh, for yes. a second because in order to understand really the meaning of the smartness of a smart device, um, we, I think we really have to firstly understand that the internet is not necessarily the internet as we are used to thinking about it. it's the Internet of things um, or the internet of everything. Uh, people are describing it in different ways. What exactly does that mean?
3: Well, it's pretty simple. If you define it on how our life is going to change, uh, just think the way that uh, your phone has become your uh, center of your social life. Tomorrow it will be the center of your payment and your financial life. Uh, and and uh, the next day it will add – to your life, a lot of data and help you in making decisions about your health, about uh, your home, about the environment in which you live. So uh, everything when we call when we call this internet, it's not the website and the browser anymore. It's really that thanks to the technology today, we are able to connect to our phone a lot of things. All the things that are surrounding us are being able to speak to the phone and with artificial intelligence and the cloud you can give back intelligence to the user.
1: Certainly, there's a lot you can do. Chris Oliver, our producer, joins us now in the studio. Good morning, Chris. Good, uh, good,
3: good morning, uh, Richard. Uh, the, the Internet of Things has reached the height of the hype cycle, according to research firm Gartner. Uh, the company has something what it calls the hype cycle of emerging technologies. That tracks the various tech and the buzzwords associated with them, and it places the Internet of Things at the top of the list. Uh, now, the general idea is that emerging technologies go through a, a natural life cycle, starting with innovation, then we go out peak expectations, then actually we, we fall out of love with it, we, we go into disillusionment, and eventually things come into everyday use. Are you worried at all that there's just too much hype at the moment about the Internet of Things? Oh, n- not at all. I, I don't feel at all uh, any dis- disillusion and I, and I really think that today with the, uh, for example, with the Apple uh, iPhone 6, you can again, in every line, you can read that this phone is made for Internet of Things. It's made to connect with everything in your world. It's made to pay. It's made to take care of your health. Um, I I was at a conference in China a, a couple of weeks ago and um, about healthcare and I asked to the to the to the room to the conference, uh, do you think your phone is going to be your doctor in the next five years? You had a good 90% of the hands that were raised there. So I, I don't think at all Internet of Things is a bubble. I think it's a reality. Sometimes we don't want to see it as such uh, because it's it's tough to imagine technology coming in our lives. Uh, no. And, and knowing what we do in our in our homes or so, but. Um But that's the reality. That's the way it is. And it's very good for us. It's very good for users. It's very good for our health, our environment, our family life in the future.
2: So, Richard, given that everything that we're doing now can be analyzed, monitored, tracked almost in real time, and then the data sent off to a whole range of people for further analysis, do people start to get worried about privacy issues here, that almost maybe too much is being known about what we do and how we do it? Is, Is there a point at which people will say, you know, enough is enough?
3: don 't know I think the the mentalities are different country by country, uh, I think in china i don 't see any of that in France. I see a lot of that, and that 's the first question we get whenever we sell a toothbrush <laughs> uh, So I think every country is different, but the trend is the trend is there i mean when when phone started we we were thinking that someone was listening to our conversation, but we still all of us have a phone today so th- there is a there is a fear. But it will happen anyway.
1: So, Richard, I have a question. How does the use of smart devices and this connection to the Internet of Everything give me, as a lay consumer, value for money?
3: Well, an example is for a $30, $30 toothbrush, you can have your kids brush their teeth one, one morning, uh, evening. Uh, check it, and you know that they are doing the right movement, the right motion. I think this is a good investment for them to have a bright smile their whole life. Another product that we do is a smart air purifier. We've put a computer in an air purifier and some sensors to measure the particles. And so this this air purifier is so smart that you can, on your phone choose the quality of the air you want in your home or your office. You can choose Geneva air quality, you can choose Paris air quality, and the the air purifier is going to guarantee to you that the air you have at home is the same as G- Geneva air today. These things you could not do before. Today you can. Maybe it's a gadget, or it's funny or so, but, but still um, having intelligence built into the the traditional uh, appliances, is something that has added a lot of value to all of us. Thank you, Richard.
1: Unfortunately, we have to stop there. Lots of smart technology to look forward to. That is Richard Minier of the Vigilant Group. Thank you again. Thank you. A quick look at the numbers before we leave. The Nikkei is open and it is up seven of a percent to 16,009. Australia's ASX index is also up just slightly at 0.1% to 5,421 and Sol's Kospi down just slightly to 2,059. Well, that brings us to the end of Money for Nothing this morning. Uh, a quick look at the weather forecast for the rest of the day it is um the temperature right now is 27 degrees celsius relative humidity is 90 degrees it'll be mainly fine hot during the day with a maximum temperature of 32 degrees and moderate southeastly winds i'd like to say thank you to my co-host this morning peter lewis of peter lewis consulting
2: thank you Anita. my pleasure
1: looking forward to having lots more of you on the show many many days and thank you of course chris oliver our producer this is money for nothing and I'm your host Renita Malhotra Hora. It's now time for the half hour news with Todd Harding.
0: Police have raided homes in one of Australia's largest ever counter-terrorism operations. The raids in Sydney and Brisbane come days after authorities raised the country's terror alert level to high in response to the likelihood of terrorist attacks by Australian citizens who have been radicalised after fighting in Syria and Iraq. The U.S. House of Representatives has approved President Obama's plan to arm and train some Syrian rebels. It's part of Washington's campaign against Islamic State militants who control territory in both Syria and Iraq. The BBC's Tom Esselmont reports from Washington.
2: The vote was expected to pass easily. Republicans who control the House generally support President Obama's strategy to defeat and degrade Islamic State. But the more hawkish among them feel the plan falls short... They argue that the president should consider sending U.S. combat troops to Syria and Iraq, something he said he's not prepared to do. Some lawmakers from both parties feel sceptical that the Syrian rebels are up to the job. At a Senate committee hearing, they pressed the Secretary of State John Kerry for assurances the Syrian fighters would be